Hello and good morning. This is Brap Talk, man. <laughs> Coming to you live. Coming to you live the... from sunny, warm Portland, Oregon. Bumbaclot. <laughs> Gonna bring you the fat bass tunes today. We wake up early and talk motorcycles with you. The bass line so thick you can feel it all the way down in Jamaica, man. Slap at the bass. Slap at the bass. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. Ah, uh, this is a weekly podcast. Hi. I am your host, Jensen Beeler. And I am his sidekick, <clears throat> Shaheen Shaheen! Um, doesn't have a fancy title for you because it's way too early in the morning, sir. Shaheen, wake up in the morning. I, I, see, this is the problem. This is the problem with a weekly podcast. <laughs> I just saw you. I just saw you too. I just saw you. Nothing, I haven't had a chance to miss you. I know nothing's new. I haven't done anything. You we gotta done fi- anything. We gotta find a happy place where I'm not not seeing you for a month, and then we miss mm. each other so much that we talk about just garbage, everything. Yeah. And then I'm also not having to see you every two days. We're like, so what do you want to talk about? I don't know. I just saw you, man. Jesus. Let's talk about motorcycles. <laughs> uh, I only got one thing to talk about, but I'm sure we can find some rabbit holes to go down. Oh uh, yeah, we're the masters of the rabbit hole. Rabbit holes. Um, so Dunlop is finally getting getting serious about its Dude, entire game. I can't believe that they're this late into the game. It is ridiculous. Like they have a tire for everything: sport bike tire, racing tire, dirt bike tire. I, I'm going to start by saying I still don't think they have a tire for everything. That's fair. That's where I'm going with this. Story. Ooh, it, it's become a. It's been a fun little uh, let's call it debate to watch on the old Instagram, Facebook pages. Well. That's because someone had the audacity. Ooh. The audacity. So, so what we're talking about, let's back it up a little bit, is the new Trail Max Mission Adventure Tire from Dunlop. Is it really a Trail Max? And someone Ooh. had the audacity. Actually, Dunlop had the audacity of calling it. They said they are reinventing the 50-50 tire. Whoa. Which is fair. Whoa. If by reinventing the 50-50 tire, you mean making a great looking 80 20 90 10 tire 87 13 tire 87 that was your number that was my 87 math. 13 <laughs> so that you don't know so the designation is first number is what percentage that tire is designed to go on road right second number is the percentage that tire is designed to go off road and if you do the math right those numbers should have to, to 100 <laughs> and if they don't i kind of want to know where that little remainder is like it's this like, is a 80 30 tire it's what? a <laughs> it's a 50 17 what the what happens with the rest what's the other 33 where's the other 33 is that underwater (laughs) submersible tire Ooh, fascinating on the moon so these guys are claiming 50 50 50 -50. on this tire i'm gonna put it right out here right out here you cannot have a 50 50 tire if it doesn't have knobs that's my that's my delineation the tkc 80 for me is the 50 50 tire in the market you want to talk jensen scores of tires that's the one it's got to have a knob and it's got to have rounded knobs where you can still. Oh, I came. I figured this out last night. It has to be a knobby tire that you can get a knee down on the street. Whoa, that's a fifty-fifty. That's a fifty-fifty in my book, which that, is a TKC eighty and an Anarchy Wild. Those are the only two I know of that I would be I'd be willing to put a knee on the ground. And on. then I think you get the sport the the Pirelli Scorpion Trail STRs. That would be like a sixty forty. See, you're a street guy. That's Metzler, why you scored it that way. Metzler Karu three would be in that sixty forty. And then when you get you go past it, then you're really getting into like true off road tires. But like you have to understand, like you can still take an like a true knobby off road tire on the road. Yeah. So 
Yeah, it's just a matter if, of how long is it going to... See, now, I think... I the, think a 50-50 tire has to be DOT legal, though. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, how else are you going to call it 50-50? That's true. It should just be 0-100. Well, because <clears throat> you can still do it. That's why. You can still ooh, do it. Ooh. So, I, I think the way most adventurers, not street racing guys, okay. rate these tires tell me, is, Tell me your thoughts. I think they're talking about longevity on the road and ability to go do gnarly things off-road. So, like, if you have a tire that can go off-road and do all kinds of neat stuff, but also be able to last, say, 3,000 miles or so on the street, that's more of a sort of an off-road tire. But now, what you know, what Continental did with the TKC was make it soft enough that and, and you know, able to kind of have lateral grip on it, which is kind of weird. The first time I ri- rode one of those tires, they just don't look like they should perform the way they do. And then you realize they just flex so much and they fall apart really, really quickly. Um, like the tires that are on my bike right now, those big old tractor tires that I have on there, they're they're so considered gross. a fifty fifty as well. But I wouldn't put any on the ground on that on that. That's tire. not a fifty fifty. That's what they call it. Fitty fitty. I don't think you can have a fifty fifty tire that doesn't knobs. Uh, mine's now, got knobs. Now, to be fair, to be fair, uh, uh, need like a like a like a sound bite for that. I'm right here. Bing bing bong. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> NBC. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna pull up the little fur 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 noise every time you say that. <laughs> it's gonna be a party. Be fair. <laughs> um, I I think you could make an argument that a knobby tire, that's like a that's like your zero one hundred, right? And like a slick is like your one hundred zero. And if you look at this tire, which is totally round, but has deep channels and grooves. Yeah, it's kind of Karoo you looking. Could, you could say that's 50-50. Like, like, I could see, like, if that's where you're going to put your bookends, yeah. I could see how this is somewhere in the middle. But, like, I'm a, I'm a practical guy. I'm a pragmatic person. Right. Any tire that has a round profile is going to be shit in the dirt. Yeah. Totally. This tire is going to perform marginally better than... A Q3. So they have a, an, a, like a 90-10 tire or the TKC... No, I'm sorry. That's not them. So, that's Continental. So, so the Continental makes a TKC-70. TKC 70. Yeah. And that's more of like they call it like a 90-10 or 80-20 if you want to be real generous. Yeah. I mean, that's a real... So this, if you look at this, this kind of has the roundness of a tire like that, but just deeper grooves and channels on there. So... If I was going to be super generous with my scoring on this tire, I'd call it like a 70-30, like being real generous. Now, the only way you're going to do this you're, is you're by testing. You're talking the TKC-70 would no, be no, a 70-30? No, no, this Dunlop. This, this uh, Dunlop? Yep. This Trail Max? Yep, Trail Max. Trail Max Mission Adventure? That's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. Hey, listen, if Dunlop wants to send me a set, I'll throw him on the Multistrada. absolutely give this a rock. Yeah. I'll give it a try. I mean, I, I want to try it out for sure. But, but it... I just struggle with the with the the words here. And and they've got like this little graphic. I wonder if I can pull it up on my screen so you can see it. I want to see it. I like graphics. This is what's in Oh, yeah. Oh, that worked out really well. Look Te- at this graph. Technology. So they got like their what Whoa. they're calling they have six adventure tires, which I would really disagree with. Wait, they have six adventure tires? Yeah, supposedly. Okay. And I'm like, "No, guys, you didn't have an adventure tire until today, but" You still technically don't really have an adventure tire in my book. I mean, I guess any tire could be an adventure well, tire. <laughs> a part of this news is, and I'm going to blank on which name it is because it's one of the D, it's either the 606 or the 90, was that 908? 
they've now made, which is a full knobby tire. Yeah. They're now finally making in a size that can go on uh, Africa Twins and KTM 1290Rs. Okay. So 21 so, front, 18 back, but like a 150 or a 160 exactly, in the rear. Exactly, it's 150. I think it's 150 now. Also, are these tubeless? That I don't know off the top so of my head. that's going to be another thing, right? I bet they are. Um. So that that to me, like, okay, now you have an event, like this this new Trailmax mission. That's not your adventure tire. The fact that you got your dirt, your DOT legal knobbies in the right size. Right. Now you have an adventure tire. Now welcome to the welcome to the jungle. This is this but, is a adventure touring tire. I think. Yes. Right. Where you can go long distances and enjoy some canyon roads and carve a little bit. And then get on your favorite gravel, favorite like gnarlier road. than gravel road. Which is silly because I still think at the end of the day, like that that tire is going to perform as off road as well as like a Q3 plus. But look at this, look at this graph. Like they're making this little, this little like performance. So off- what's the yellow on the graph mean? Um, it's a really good question because the more I look at it, the more confused I get. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. Like according according to this graph, the Trail Max mission basically can do anything on the street and anything on the dirt, and that's really not correct. So, dude, they came out with a magic tire. This is a silver bullet. It's a silver bullet. It literally covers the entire. Guys, span. just buy that tire. Whoever rides a big adventure bike, just buy that tire. It can do everything according to them. I mean, <laughs> reserve judgment until you've ridden it. But according to them, this tire is the shit. Listen, I've learned I've learned sort of the hard way that that manufacturers like to just boast about how they can do all the things. But like, okay, the tires that are on my bike, if you talk to Motaz, they'll tell you, oh, this is going to have uh, like excellent wet road performance. Well, you and I both know if the tire doesn't have silicon there, it's going to suck in the wet. It's just it's not that good. Or a silica like substance. But yeah, or something like that. Right. But I, I'm 100 percent rubber. And I'm here to tell you if it's raining, especially if it's colder weather raining, I've got bupkis for grip. Yeah. On the hard stuff. Now, on the gravel and stuff like that, it's awesome because it's got super gnarly knobs on there and it grips anyways. But, um, yeah, I don't. <sighs> Sorry to interrupt you. Or my buddy, Abby, he runs Bike Curious. Yeah. He just sent. Uh, I don't know if I can show it to you. He just sent me uh, a, a photo. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, look at that. It's a sticker. The old Bra- Bra- sticker. sticker. Spotted at the MSF Circuit Rider course. Nice. Right on. Nice. Um, little interlude. Sorry that. I just, I mean, I, obviously the proof is in the pudding. Yep. But it's really hard to like see how that tire is going to do well in say mud. Now looking at the sand. picture of the the rear tire because it's got such big groove channels on there. Maybe they've designed it where it gets rid of mud quickly. But again, it's a round profile. It's so a round profile. I don't know how or where it digs. Um, clearly, you and I are not engineers, so somebody came up with something. So really, the, the the best way of putting judgment on a set of tires like this is take it out and beat on it. Got to go beat on it for sure. But I mean, look at the look at the photo that the, they've got. It's like a GS on like a perfectly flat dirt. Yeah, it's, a G, it's like a GS on a KTM. On a fire ride. They were like, what are the most popular dirt? Which is 100% where you can use the tire. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to hate on it. Like, nope. It could be the best 80-20 tire on the market, for all I know. Yeah. It's just not a 50-50 in my book. And no. I think that's that's the pushback. And I'm telling you, 70-30 at best. Not even. No, 80-20. And that's being generous. I want to try them out. I don't think any round tire is really going to go better than 80 20 what i want to do actually I think, is, all, I think all round tires are really 90 tenths that's true and that includes slicks <laughs> right any tire can be an adventure tire just like any pizza can be a personal pizza it's just you have the what it takes yeah 
I would love to get a set of these for this fall where it starts getting wet and shitty out there and to ride them actually on trails and see how it performs to, say, my tractor tires. Because right now, those tires have better grip than most off-road than most other people's, you know, quote-unquote 50-50 tires. Um, but those are like cheaters. Again, they're not 50-50. They call them 50-50. They're more like 40-60. Those I would say, yeah, like 40-60. Right. No, not 60-40, maybe 70-30. Well, no, 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 you, you think they're more dirt biased? Yeah, totally. No. Oh, God, go ride no. them. Go ride them. No. They, they just, they rattle your I think they're just shitty on the street. They're garbage on the street. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I've got 3,000 miles on them, and they still look like they got another 3,000 left on them. I don't know how. I don't know what the hell they make them out of. because they're made from urethane. <laughs> <laughs> of the poly variety? I don't know. Hey, if Dunlop wants to send us a set, let's go beat on these. Let's I will, see how it is. I'm definitely going to talk to Dunlop about getting a set because I'm I'm curious. I'm also curious. It's interesting. I'm going to put them on my Street Fighter. We're going to see what's up. Oh, hell yes. I wonder if they make them in that size. Uh, you know who does? Continental, TKC80s. Yeah. Made 17-inch wheels. Been there, done that. Right? Uh, download the Word doc. No, I don't want to do that. Show me the sizes. This is interesting. Both front and rear tires feature a distinctly higher land to sea ratio with about 60% land for greater street performance compared to the dirt-oriented D606, which has a 30% land ratio. So so I think that's where they're trying to get like that 50-50. Right, but that even by their math, that sounds like a 60-40 at best, but still 70-30, I would Inter- say. Interessant. All right, that's all I got. What do you got to talk about? Hippo Hands. You know what they are? No. Hippo Hands is a brand that's been around forever, and it's a little like hand cover that goes on oh, your handlebar. I've seen those. So that your mitts stay warm. Those are all over Europe, yeah. They're all over everywhere. And these, uh, so a buddy of mine is the uh, current and newish owner of it, and he wanted to put a set on my motorcycle, and they didn't fit. So he's creating a set for my bike. And I was totally anti this stuff until about four years ago where I started riding in like proper cold weather because I lived in Florida. Right. And it's like, what the heat grips in Florida? Are just yeah, it's wasted. just silly. It's like having like a hepatitis vaccine in Florida. <laughs> like it's just a wasted thing. So I try to set on and it's like, oh dude, like, cause they're not gloves. Your hands don't fit yeah, yeah, inside yeah. them. It's just like this area where your hand goes and it creates a negative space. But, but they're and- like mittens still though. Like they're not mittens. Like, um, like, like what am I trying to describe? The pot. Oh, like mitts. like oven, oven like oven, oven mitts. mitts, sort of, but much bigger because yeah. th- there's no fitment at all. Your hand just it's designed so that you're bulky. I wish we were a video show so we could really just get really the, show this. Just the really air, get air the hand thing that we keep doing thing that you're it doing. Kinda, it kind of goes, you know, into the thing <laughs> up to your elbow, up, wow, to, your elbow. up to the elbow. <laughs> These things are huge. So the whole idea behind them is that they're waterproof and weatherproof, so that there's no wind or water touching your hands, and it goes up to like halfway between your your wrist and your elbow. So. It just keeps you nice and dry, and you don't have to wear like a big, goofy winter glove. Big gauntlets. Oh, jeez, they, they suck. You don't have any feeling on them or anything like that. And if you have the luxury of having heated grips, you put them Ooh. on low. You wear like your thinnest gloves in there. It'd be and, like a little sauna. Dude, it really is. A so I'm excited sauna to, for your fingers. I'm excited to buy a, a finger set of these things. They're amazing. They're cheaper than like buying winter gloves. They're, They're 120 bucks. They look horrible. They, they look goofy as hell. Yeah. But- when it gets that cold, you don't care. If you are if you have to ride and you're going to go do something like, you know, let's call it like late fall or early spring when you're trying to do a ride, a long distance ride, you got to go through a couple of passes and it gets to like 35 degrees suddenly. You don't have to like pack four different gloves. You just basically have these things with you. And then when you're done with them, if you want to take them off the bike, because they're so thin, they just fold up and just kind of get put away. 
I'm super excited about having one of these. And also, it's like, fuck, I really am 40 years old. I'm yeah. thinking about hippo hands. Embrace it. I'm embracing it. I still haven't crossed into the heated gear. That really is the next step. Uh, dude, it? everyone that, that I know that says once you do it, it breaks you. You're ruined for life. That would be nice. Uh, what was it? When I rode the Goldwing up to the ridge for the track day. Right. That was a cold morning. Ooh. And I was in my leathers. Ooh. And I was sitting going like, yeah, that heated that heated gear right now would be real. And you were on a Goldwing that actually protects you from it the some, wind blast. Yeah. I wouldn't say the Goldwing has amazing wind protection. Your hands are actually pretty out there. Like, my hands were cold. My legs weren't too bad. And right. honestly, I had the heated seat and the heated grips. But the grips weren't enough to get over the cold air going over my Whoa. my gloves. And so, that was very much like the top of my hand is freezing cold. The bottom of my hand is roasting hot. I need to find a, a happy hands. medium here. The I, hippo needed, hands. I needed some hippo hands. Yeah. When I lived in Europe, the the real hardcore dudes, it was always scooters. <laughs> it's always scooters. They'd have like the little hippo hands on the on the grips. And then they had like this like apron that connected to the front apron of like a Vespa. What? And then it, and then it like kind of came back. So you kind of had like a blanket over your lower like a little, like a little scooter tent. Uh, I wouldn't say uh, tent wasn't the word I was going to use. I was thinking more like picnic blanket, but tent oh, is probably cozy. applicable as well. That's very cozy, but it's like a windbreaker. Like it gets yeah, the like water. A, it's the like a water you. wind thing. So it keeps you dry. Like when you're sitting, like it basically keeps your lap <laughs> and your legs dry and, and warm, but it, but it's connected to the motorcycle. It adds almost like a, it's almost like a, a blanket fairing. Right. Why isn't that a thing in the motorcycle world yet? we're pansies we are but like because because we want to look cool like hippo hands don't look cool I think that's the thing i think i think a little bit of his like well it's hard to be manly when you're yeah. did you even see that in the touring he's like oh oh you're uh you're gonna be weak you're gonna yeah. be weak and get yeah. a heated vest <laughs> yeah, nice heated vest why don't you just get a car while yeah, you're at why it why don't you yeah why don't you just uh <laughs> why don't you take a plane next time ah uh, toxic masculinity yeah you know <laughs> so i think there's a little bit of that and i and i think there in europe it's transportation so yeah. like that is your form of transportation in the winter you don't own a car you have a stupid vespa scooter yeah, as long as they're not frozen on the ground yeah you're just riding whereas here it's like oh it's cold out i'm gonna drive my suburban i'm gonna i'm gonna hop in my expedition and turn the heated steering wheel on yeah that by the way that's one of the funniest things in the world to me heated steering wheel in a car where you're protected and have a heater <sighs> like there's no wind blast on your fucking hand there's from the ac uh, you have to turn the AC on. It's cold out, Jed's head. <laughs> Unless you're going through some weird body thing where you're hot all the time. You know what is a game changer? Huh? The air conditioned seat. I'm waiting. For, but the thing is, if you wear gear, it shouldn't matter. How are you? Oh, I'm talking about in cars. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that yeah. But I, I am waiting for the day where there's air conditioning on a motorcycle. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> you're gonna have to have like a spacesuit, basically. Well, so I mean, I keep seeing like air conditioning helmets. I keep reading like oh, blurbs so here and there. So stupid. That sounds ridiculous. Oh yeah, hey, I made this helmet that weighs ten pounds. That's the problem, right? Any of this, any of this technology weighs a lot right now. There's one I forget what company it is. Um, I mean, it's basically just a small heat pump on the on the back of your helmet, right? And it's like it's only like eight hundred grams, and you're like eight hundred grams. Eight hundred grams is like fuck two it's, it's pounds. two pounds almost. Yeah. <laughs> so just for giggles, just for giggles, I took one of my helmets. 
I took one of my little weights from my, from my taped it on there. And I put a two pound weight on the back of my helmet just to see what that was like. And it was the stupidest thing. I put thing. it in the back so it's like yanking yeah, your that's backwards. Yeah, because that's where the dude man's design oh, was. Like the back of the helmet was all the heat pump nonsense. Why don't they just make a little unit that goes on top of your helmet like on the van with its auxiliary air conditioning unit? There's no upside. And, and then you can make it kind of air, you know, aerodynamic at least. You're putting two pounds on something that weighs like three or four pounds on its own. I mean, people put on fucking GoPros on top of their helmets. Have you ever done that and gone anything over 30 miles an hour? Yeah, I've done that. It's just a brick. It's I've just done that. your head it back the whole time. It's not great. It's not the worst. It's not as bad as a two pound. Two pounds. Air conditioning unit. Ugh. Yeah, but Jensen, do you want to be hot or do you want to complain about two extra pounds? Oh, then they have like all this science about <laughs> science, science. I'm doing the quotes. I love, I love industri- industry wide science where it's done like independently we're, by just the person who made we're it. We're doing science, but they're basically saying like a cooler brain is more effective. So it helps you make better decisions and stay less fatigued. And you're like, yeah, you know what I think is going to be worse? Having two pounds extra on the like back of my head. Yeah, cooler brain's worthless if your damn neck is tired. Oh, and yeah. can't hold your brain. If I'm like got a crink in my neck and I'm just in the struggle bus for my entire is this, trip. Is this AC unit made by a chiropractor who's just trying to have more business? Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting like home scientists in the industry. I mean, I love it. I love people. You got you got to try wacky shit. Yeah. You got to figure it out. You got to innovate, and that's that's part of that process. Like I'm not going to hate too hard. I mean, you got to make the crazy thing and hopefully somebody comes along and helps you make it lighter and smaller and more efficient. There's just, I mean, heat pumps have been around for like a hundred years. Like we've, we've, that technology is not getting better. So is there, is there something available for the jacket? Cause it's not my head that ever gets that hot. It's my body. It's my core. Yeah. Right. Anything I've noticed in motorcycling, whether it's super hot or super cold, if I can keep my core temperate, I'm fine. Your vascular system does a pretty good job of cooling your head. Right. You got your own little internal, you know, uh, there's a lot of system. Well, I mean, especially you, if no, if no hair, but like your, your scalp has so many little veins and stuff. Like it's, we got a pretty good radiator yeah. on our, in our, on our I get air movement through the helmet. I'm pretty happy. Mm-hmm. I don't, I've never, I've never had my head be so hot in the helmet and I've ridden through 120 degree Vegas weather. Mm-hmm. It's never been my bother. It's been my core. And so then we go and buy things like cooling vests that you dip in water and then you wring out and you wear underneath your, your vest. But that only works up to a certain temperature. Once you go, go past like 100 degrees, it gets hot very quickly. And now you're wearing this heavy, yeah, now moist, hot thing. Insulating it's layer. worse. Now you're, in, now you're in like South Florida in August. <laughs> it's like a wetsuit. Oh, God, it's the worst. Uh, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a real thing. I, I think, I mean, I wouldn't say this technology is less, but I would say like we're still struggling to get airbags right. into everything. Right. I think that's a more complicated problem, which is cool that we're, we're solving it. Saving think, lives, not staying it's a bigger comfortable. Deal. It's a bigger deal. <laughs> um, but that's like where we're at, where it's like, hold on, hold, hold, slow your roll. We're just getting the airbag thing figured out. <laughs> and then after that, we'll move on to yeah, maybe air conditioning. I don't know. We'll see. So that's interesting, though. You, you made a good point, right? In Europe and, and some, some other parts of the world, motorcycles and scooters are daily uh, transportation not an option, but that's the choice. That's that's the only option you have. Probably it's not even an option. It's just what you got. You can't afford a car. Gas is too expensive. There's not enough space, so you get on a scooter and you ride that all. Or year you're like long. an 18 year old. Like or it's an, just yeah, not gonna happen. Sure, but in America, it's mostly an option for us. Like we're like, well, yeah, I have a car, but I also have a motorcycle, and you have a handful of people like me who don't have a car, and so those thoughts are pretty important to us. But we are so the minority. 
I don't know that many people that ride every day all year. Like my bike's only parked if there's ice and snow on the ground. And here in Portland, that's maybe. That's one week out of the year. Yeah. Four or five days out of the entire year. But that means the rest of the time I'm riding, you know, if it's 35 degrees and wet, I'm still riding. Um, so now I'm like, all right, how do I keep my hands warmer? Cool hippo hands. How do I keep my core a little bit warmer? I'm just going to gear up properly, but I'm probably going to start talking about heated vests later on and that'll ruin everything. But the beauty of the heated vest is I don't have to look like that kid from Christmas story. All oh yeah. Wait for me guys. Like <laughs> I get off the bike. I can't put my arms down. So I see the merits of having a thin heated vest underneath my, you know, waterproof jacket. Just, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm pausing because I'm thinking about like what autonomous vehicles is going to do to change that. Because I'm really a big believer that we're just going to subscribe to like Uber service, right. or Lyft service, or Mercedes service, or Honda service in the future. Like I right. won't, I won't own a, a car in my garage. I'll just subscribe to a service, and I'll be like, oh, I got to go across town to see Shaheen. Uh, and I've got like, you know, these packages, I'm going to bring them. Uh, car will, you know, set, up. set my little thing like car needs to show up at 2 PM and I get in it and it's like a little mobile living room basically. And we go and we do the yeah, thing you can read and your I book, get out of do whatever it. you got to do. It's, it's got Wi-Fi on it. I feel like that's, that's my winter option where I'm like, oh, okay, right. Like, I don't need to own a car, but I'm going to do the car service in the winter because it's so damn chilly. Out. Right. I don't know. No, you're you're probably right. That's going to be you know probably the next ten years because as it is, Uber and Lyft have become the standard for. If I need to get somewhere, I can just on my phone just make a quick you know press a button and boom, it shows up anywhere from two to ten minutes later. I don't know how taxi cab drivers are still in business. I don't either. Like who who is ordering a taxi at this point? Somebody who doesn't trust the idea of Uber because uh, my wife, for instance, is is deathly afraid of getting on one of those Uber or Lyft services by herself. And and it probably has Why? changed by now because several years ago they didn't have the same sort of controls that taxis did on them. So you'd always hear news about such and such girl or such and such person got abducted or raped or anything happened because there was no real control on the Uber driver. See, I feel I mean, I can understand that, but I still feel like Uber knows who I am when I get in the car. Right. Uber knows who's driving the car and hopefully like actually knows who they are since they're paying them. They probably have like a social security number. I feel like that's more and it can track me via their app and my app. I feel like that's more safe than the taxi cab driver who never looks like the photo that's on the license <laughs> on the dash. Right. And who could just be anyone at that point. I don't truly know no what, app, what the controls no- are, but I, I remember her being I remember having this argument with her where she was deathly afraid of the idea of it. And she would show me these articles of these things happening. And my counter argument was, well, what's different about a cab? It's the same idea. I mean, I realize that that person is driving a marked vehicle that says taxi on there versus a Jeep Grand Cherokee that just shows up at your house or whatever the fuck uh-huh. they, car they drive. So m- maybe there's an implied safety of I'm in a marked vehicle that everybody knows what it is instead of just some unmarked car that shows up and takes me wherever the hell he wants to take me as opposed to where he's supposed to. But you're right, because on the app, you'll see that they have a control of like, the map they have to check in they have to do this they have to do that so i guess what i'm trying to say is i think the people that are still ordering cabs are a little more old school because it's not any cheaper sometimes it's more expensive actually yeah um it's not any more convenient actually it's less convenient sometimes way less convenient yeah and so i know the cab companies like here in portland we have um radio cab radio cab yeah and they're pretty big and they've done a really good job of like having an app and they've got a great dispatch system and 
they're super friendly to work with. And to be so, fair, though, to be fair, to be fair, every radio cab I've ever been behind in traffic is like the worst driver I've ever seen. Not that Uber I drivers that or Lyft Uber drivers are any too. better, but but here's the difference: an Uber driver or Lyft driver is a moonlighter. They're an amateur. Right. They're just yeah doing this on a side hustle basis right. usually. Maybe not always. There might be some guys that's like their full a full time job. But the radio cab fucker, that is his full-time that's job. That's his thing. That's your thing. You're you a are a professional driver. professional driver, right. and you're fucking horrible at it. Dude, have you driven that much before? Do you not just get worn out? I remember living in LA, like, being stuck in traffic and being like, I don't give a fuck anymore. I'm just going to drive off this bridge. And I feel like every day I'm driver's life, probably, like, they're like, Every day this. of my life. Like, I don't give a fuck. I'm not going to use my turn signals. Fuck you. <laughs> I don't even, like, I don't I don't mind the, like, not, like the aggressive driving. Right. That's oh, not I wish they were aggressive around I'm talking here. about the like, hey, I made a right-hand turn from the left-hand lane. <laughs> like, oh, I just, I hit the brakes on the off-ramp for no reason. It's and like, like, the, the, like the typical Portland bullshit driving that we have to deal with every Portland. day. We just got rated one of the worst cities to drive in, I think. It is one like of the worst the most cities dangerous, to drive in. Dr- dangerous drivers. Drivers here are horrible. It's who, because who? no one's aggressive. Everyone's passive aggressive and it gets really ridiculous. The Portland standoff. Oh, God. That's when two cars come to a stop sign. Ugh. Shaheen, I... I wasn't planning on talking about this, but you just you just kind of reminded me. Guess what I did this week? What'd you do this week? You don't you don't even know about this. Oh no, I don't. I am officially an Oregonian driver. I went and got my my. You little, have your driver's license? I got my license because it <gasps> expires in like three days. <laughs> my California <laughs> ones. I'm like, all right, gotta bite the bullet. Uh, you were. I mean, I remember you did your cars. I did. I did your bikes. This is not legal, by the way. But I'm I'm good and done. I think I think it's fine. I'm not gonna tell on you. I literally did. <clears throat> I did, I would just wait until everything expired. I'm not gonna do it all at once. No, like, it like, costs a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Like yeah, that's not time. efficient use of my time. Well, it's not efficient use of my time to go down to DMV. Who's who's efficient of <laughs> whose time is it? <laughs> but yeah, no. The last the last thing on the light uh, on the checklist was to get my license. And Dang, you scored done. a perfect score on the driver's test. Did you really? Because I'm a California driver. The cool part is so 35 questions. Yeah, you can miss 28. It's on like a touchscreen computer. If you get a perfect score at question 28. They're like, okay, you're done. I'm not going to make you oh, take really? the other seven questions. So you got 28 perfect, perfect answers. Yeah. Do they like? Do they like throw confetti up in the air? And they should because everyone else there that was taking their test failed. I'm going to get you a bumper sticker that says "I miss California." I want to put that across my window. You'd you'd get uh, my cards. Oh, destroyed. dude, it's going to get scratched Just and spat on, and but I'd be <laughs> driving better than everyone else. Well, maybe that's how you do. It. That's your sticker. Is you're driving. <laughs> Sorry, I'm driving like you're supposed to. Um, it's like the Family Guy um, uh, character who gets in the car and she just screams out, I'm driving. Good luck, everyone. <laughs> That's how I feel like Oregon is. Most of Portland drivers, they just like, I'm going to get in the road. Best of luck to everybody else. There's a, there's a line in The Great Gatsby about that. About, uh, about Portland drivers? No, about Bonnie. Bonnie, the, the one of the, the girls. Because she's, she's a notoriously bad driver. And right. That's like, she ends up killing someone. And it's like she drives as if everyone else. Like, what's the line? It's like she drives as if everyone else will get out of her way or something like that. That's um, that's Portland. Except they drive as if everyone behind you doesn't have to get anywhere. They drive like they're on fucking quaaludes. That's what it is. <laughs> Somebody said, "Well, it's all the marijuana here." I'm like, I refuse to believe every single goddamn driver on the road is high. Yesterday, I was going to come to your house at two o'clock, and the six miles that I was supposed to come to your house. Uh, was going to take me 58 minutes and I promptly turned around. Said, nope, fuck it. Sorry, Jensen. Well, maybe it's Jordan that's a bad driver. No. It's in The Great Gatsby. Go read a book. 
Read a fucking book. Read a fucking book. Uh, I read The Great Gatsby in high school because I had to, and then I put it away promptly. It's it's pretty good. Is it? Yeah, it's not a bad book. <sighs> it's it's boring. It's a little. I mean, the the end's a little weird. Yeah, that's the other thing. It doesn't end the way I think it should end. This is why I read things like The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hitchhiker's good pretty book. good. Yeah, see? Yeah. I noticed you have one. I'm, I'm very... Yeah. It's uh, one of my it's favorite nice. things. It's leather-bound, isn't it? I, I have the exact same one. Yeah. I'm on my second copy. I, I, got that as a, I got that as a gift. I saw that in your house the first time I came here, and I was like, I'm going to be friends with this guy. This guy? Yeah. This guy, one day we're going to start a podcast. This guy, we're going to be we're gonna be buddies. Yeah. This is a lifetime of friendship right here. I'm going to wake his ass up on a Saturday sometime. Coming over, Jensen. record a podcast. I love your text back to me. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> Definitely 100% still. Boy, I can't wait to see you. It's like, oh. Even the cat looked at me like, hey, dude, you know what time it is? Oh. Why are you oh, here? Oh, man, I got to stretch it out. Pre-10 a.m. Oh, bullshit. Oh, all right. Oh, that felt good. All right. All right. Let's start the podcast. Ugh. <sighs> This podcast brought to you by neither one of us had caffeine. No, oh, Wait, I have a little diet you're coke. having a diet coke, but like this is this is like recovery coke. I need like three more to be at full. full Do you have power. a hangover? When did you go to bed last night? I'm just night? not a morning person. I went to bed like one o'clock. Oh, two o'clock. Well, therein lies the issue. I woke up and my little smartphone told me that I had gotten eight hours and fifteen minutes of sleep last you night. Can, that's good for you. That's because I'm happy for and you. if listen, if it was up to Anne, she'd go to bed at nine a, at nine p.m. every day. Rachel's the same way. Rachel goes to bed at, I don't, at night. I can't until she, it hits eleven o'clock. I can't like even think four. about going to bed. Oh well, and well, Anne wakes up at like five thirty, five forty-five. So I guess that makes sense. Just but stupid. I wake up with her every fucking morning, and I still have to go to bed at eleven. I can't do it. That's stupid. Like my eleven is my normal hour, and if it was up to me, it'd be like midnight, twelve thirty, where I can really concentrate on going to sleep. Yeah. All right, what are we gonna talk about next? <laughs> talk about next. Oh, is this gonna be um? Is this gonna be like a brap talk light? <laughs> it might be a brap a brap talk light show. You fuckers <laughs> want a weekly? Here's your weekly. <laughs> Listen, I'm not a machine. I'm a human. <laughs> I can only give you so many pumps <laughs> before I run out. You have any um any plans to ride scooters and motorcycles in Bali? Yeah, you have to. That's pretty much how you get around. So, what's your plan with that? Are you gonna? Is there like certain sites you're gonna go try and see? Or no, I think. Because we're not staying on the main, we're not staying on like the main Bali Island. We're staying on like a different one. So it's going to kind of be what's there. Right. And then if there is some stuff on the main Bali one we got to do, then we're going to have to like plan it out and be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Like maybe hit three sites huh. and rent a scooter because we've got to take like a, a boat over. It's not, it's not close. But we've got a little private villa with a saltwater pool. And it overlooks a lagoon, and that's pretty much like all I care about. That just sounds like paradise. hanging out by the pool, hanging out in the lagoon, swim in the lagoon, get some food, nice. work on my tan. It's Careful. my first vacation in ten years, Shane. That's a I'm I'm proud of you. Yeah, vacation. See, the thing is, with your lifestyle, a lot of it looks like vacation, but people don't understand that you're working for it's fourteen, it's, fifteen hours of that day. That's I think the hardest part for people to wrap their heads around. And and can be like the misnomer. Like earlier this year, I went to Italy. Mm-hmm. I was there for two weeks. I uh, did the Moto Guzzi launch for the V85 TT in Sardinia. I did the uh, RSV4 launch at Mugello. And I did the Husky uh, Svartpolin 701 in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And... That's right, right? Like I'm I'm riding adventure bikes yeah. in Sardinia, which is an amazing place. I'm riding uh one of my favorite super bikes at like one of the raddest MotoGP tracks in the world, and that's rad. 
and we were doing Vespa scooters in Milan, <laughs> and we're riding all around the streets of uh, Lisbon, and like, hey, that's really cool. And you're like, yeah, it is really cool, but there's like, there's no sightseeing. There's no like stopover. There's no like. I mean, you get some ice cream here and there. I mean, like a normal press launch. I I like let's say I leave on a Thursday, which means I arrive on a Friday, and it's usually like Friday night. And so you go like straight to dinner, right? Sleep, wake up in the morning, go ride the bike. You have dinner with the manufacturer. You pass out from the jet lag, and then like your flights at like six a.m. the next day. So you're waking up at four because you only got like five hours of sleep. Anyways, then you leave. Like I literally, I have been to press launches where I've spent more time in the air than I was on the ground. I believe it. And so it's not like yeah, it's like cool. It's like yeah, I rode at Magello. That's rad. But like the day to day wasn't like you really get to. You don't get to savor it. You just get no. tastes. You get to go to these awesome exotic locations, do the thing you have to do and get out because you're on a time constraint. You have other work you have to do. And it's beautiful. It, you get to see some cool sights and have some neat memories, but it is still work. And, that, and that's the other part. Yeah, it is still work. So like even when you're at the track, like Magellan's Great Example, it's like you're not sitting there. Like, I'm not going to say we don't shoot the shit and all that, but it's not the social event like that a track day can Right. Be. It's really like, okay, I got to go talk to that guy because I need to learn about the tire that we're using because it's a new tire or, hey, I need to change, you know, there's a new suspension on this. I need to like talk to the guy that invented it so I can get that that detail right for the story. Right. And let me make sure I put out about five different Instagram posts, social media posts about this because that's a part of the job now too. And then, you know, like I try to cram a podcast in there somewhere and like it's just work. It's just like you're, you don't ever really get to savor the moment. You're just always like collecting content. And yep. then once you're done... Then the start, the clock starts ticking on getting the story out, and that's you know that's really toughest when you fly like five hours later or something yeah. like that. Well, especially with something as active as yours, you know, asphalt and rubber and all yeah. the other podcasts. Yeah, I'm a smaller operation than than most people too. So, yeah, that's, but the irony of it all is you you might be small, but you have a ton of people who read and listen to your stuff. And if you miss the mark, people get really really agitated because they're looking forward to, you know seeing the sites and reading the words from your point of view. And if it's not there, then the thing that they were looking forward to that little 15 minute break during lunch that they had is now wasted. Right. As far as they're concerned. Right. Well, one of the things we do is we have like the like gone riding stories where like, that's where people can ask questions. Right. And so like, I'm usually hunting down questions uh, or answers to those questions, you know, during the launch itself. And that can be, that can always be entertaining depending on what the question is. <laughs> <laughs> How many of the questions do you try to answer? All of them, if I can. That's pretty. I big. mean, some people like ask like, like crazy questions. I like crazy, but they'll be like, "Why does this bike suck?" Huh? And you're like, <laughs> "Why do you suck?" Um, you know, like it's like a kind of like just like a shitty question. But like usually, what ends up, I would say, the people that show up in the comment section on those stories the most are people that own the previous generation model. So they'll be like. Have they fixed the kickstand issue yet? Have they addressed the cam chain tensioner that has been in the last three editions that wears out after 50 miles or 50,000 miles? Or they'll say like, hey, you know what? What is the mileage like? What's the real real world mileage? Something like they want like a more like I would say they, they have more nuanced questions. Which right. I think is really good. They have the daily writer question. They want to know. Yeah. Like, and I don't think like as a journalist, those are necessarily like things that we think about and and when you're not an owner like you don't know like the quirks of a bike right you know unless you've really really spent a lot of time with it you don't know that like like the honda goldwing navigation that it's totally shitty 
Yeah. At least the original version. Yeah. You're not going to know that because, like, you're not a press launch. You're not really using the navigation. They're just following the guy in front of me. So it's like, oh, yeah, did they fix that bug where the navigation turns blue if you go more than 30 miles? It's like, oh, yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, I'll make <laughs> I that was him. a thing. Or I'll go, to, I'll go do a thing. I'll go ride for 30 miles, see if it turns blue. Oh, yeah, fuck, it still turns blue. I think that's why that uh, that YouTube series that Zach Court started, that whole MC Commute became kind of a popular thing because he started talking about the little nuances of the bike. He just was able to talk about the quick ride and, you know, pay attention to those little things. So that's interesting that, that you know, that's what, you know, those those of us that do daily riding, that's what we care about because we live with that bike for more than 20 minutes. We have it for three, four, five years sometimes and we learn all these weird things about it. So we're hoping that the wise journalists that are out there testing them can give us all these weird nuanced question answers to our questions. And yeah, you've got you've got a quick little burst with that thing and you got to pick up as much information as you can somewhere between that and the the information the factory gives you and put out, you know, relevant information, I guess. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. What's your favorite location that you've had to go to for your stories? That's a good, good question. Hmm. I go to Europe a lot. I go to I go to Italy at least once a year. I go to Spain probably once a year. Lisbon was amazing. Lisbon is a city in Portugal. In Portugal, uh, reminds me of San Francisco. Right down to the, they've got a Golden Gate Bridge. Nice. Uh, same same architect, same designer. Uh, but it's the same thing, like very metropolitan, cosmopolitan town. Kind of sits on a hill. Uh, everyone's really friendly. It's really pretty. Uh, they've got a big bay of water. It reminded me of home. Big seafood uh, scene, I imagine. Big seafood. Portuguese sounds like fucking Russian to me for some reason. Uh, <laughs> like that language, I did not. I couldn't pick up any Portuguese whatsoever. Not that I'm good with languages, but like I can get. I got a little Italian in me. I got a little Spanish in me. Yeah, I took, I took a you? lot of French, and I'm not good at it, <clears> but I try. Portuguese is. I'm like, nope, nope. We're speaking English today. So, um, so would you say Lisbon was your favorite location you've Lisbon's gone to? Lisbon's like definitely the most recent. South Africa was was amazing. Uh, Kailami as a trace track was phenomenal. I put that in my top three. What'd you ride in South Africa? Uh, I rode, so I was with Pirelli. Uh, we rode uh, Panigale V4, MV Augusta F3800, Super Duke 1290R. Oh, some spicy that, bikes. I did that backwards. KTM 1290 Super Duke R. Some super spicy bikes. Um, Yamaha R1. Yeah, they had some cool bikes. Nice. For that. Um, Morocco was, was like a whole new experience for me. Um, I think that's the thing. Like, it's hard to, it's hard to like say like one place. It's hard to be like, this place was the best because they all kind of offer different things. Like Lisbon for me was like, it was like a European home. Like I could totally move to Lisbon and be stoked on life except for the language. Um, Qatar was my first time in the Middle East. Like that's going to be, you know, like I've never been anywhere like that before. You know, hearing the call to prayer in the morning. I've never, I've never experienced, well, I've been to Turkey, but it wasn't nearly, no, not quite the, as the a, Islamic culture wasn't nearly as pervasive. I felt in Turkey as it was in Qatar, uh, at least from like, like you could, you could feel it. I mean, God, you walk around Istanbul, you have the eyes of Sophia. There's all these obvious like right. marks of, 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 um, Islam. But uh, guitar was different, definitely a different level. And it's the same like you go to Morocco and the earth is so red and the culture is so different. And they live in these kind of like mud houses where we were at least. And you get into the cities and it's like a city. But like 
it's hard not to like be affected because you've just never experienced anything like that. And right. South Africa was the same way where, you know, like the effects of apartheid are still obvious. Uh, it's poor, it's gritty. There's definitely haves and have nots. And that's totally based on like race. And, uh, you get outside the city and it's fucking, it's Africa, man. Like a hippopotamus can kill you at any moment. <laughs> a lion could just jump out of the bush and eat you. Uh, it's real. Um, and like that's you know like you just there's nothing like that in america you're not going to be able to replicate that experience like going to downtown detroit is not going to prepare you for <laughs> downtown johannesburg it's just too different there's there's a lot of similarities maybe no hippopotamuses but there, it's it's just too different and i think that's <laughs> there's i would say each of one of those places had enough of a, an effect on me like like in a growth perspective right that it's hard to be like, which one? Well, which one did you grow more? And like, well, I don't know. I grew differently each time. Like, an, an experience of one adds to the experience of the other. And like, you start to understand the world a little bit better. Huh. Okay. Uh, next question. Oh. Who, you have like a whole bunch of questions now. I know. I'm curious now. Yeah. This is a, we can give you some content here. Um, who is, this is going to be a hard one probably, but it, you've clearly interviewed a lot of big personalities in the motorcycle industry. Uh, people that most of us just look at through your lens, whether it be online or through a magazine or video on YouTube or something like that. Who is probably, who would you say is your most favorite, and for any reason really, uh, big motorcycle uh, industry character that you've had a chance to hang out with and um, you know ask questions from? Man, that's so tough. Um... I spent a week in Germany with Scott Russell, who is Mr. Daytona. You know, just he's the champ. Right. You know, American superbiker, badass. And uh he's just a cool dude. You know, that that that, that that's like a tough one because like we weren't really like doing an interview or anything. We're just we're just riding bikes and hanging out, but it was cool just like how authentic he was. And like people would come up and be like, oh, I know who you are, can you sign my thing? And like you know, like he was stoked to interact with fans. We did a track day. I didn't do the track day. I had a broken collarbone at that point on the trip. I broke my collarbone during the trip. Um, so <laughs> actually the collarbone wasn't the big deal. The ribs, the ribs really hurt. But it was funny to watch him like at a track day. And this track day had like a leaderboard because oh. they were using, it was really clever actually. They were using RFID tags on the helmets huh. to make sure that the right, that the riders were out in the right session. So it was like their way of monitoring, you know, like who's on track and all that. But it also allowed them to use it as a lap timer. So they'd have like a little leaderboard that would be like, who just set the fastest lap? Huh. And I remember Scott comes in and he sees that he's second <laughs> on the board. And he's like, well, that won't do. And just hopped right back on the bike <laughs> <gotta> go. and <laughs> dropped like another second off his lap time. Just be like, yeah, I can't go home with with it not being Scott Russell on top. It's representing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was just kind of funny. That's like an interesting insight into like the competitive behavior of, of athletes. Um Federico Manoli is always a good interview. Who's and, he? Uh, former CEO of Ducati. Um, he was the interim CEO of Dainese. Uh, well, he's got, I think, a, I don't know if he owns it or is he's a partner. He's got some affiliation with the uh, Deus Ex Machina outside of Milan. Um, but he's, he's the guy that brought Ducati. He was part of the TPG days. Hmm. Oh yeah. Um, so terribly he's around the same time as Terre Blanche. Um, 
and uh yeah just i mean just fascinating to like listen to his perspectives and and he's very articulate and he speaks english very well so like that's the hard part like i've gotten a chance to interview some really amazing people and the language barrier is tough because like it'd be like someone interviewing me in french i talk like a fifth grader in french (laughs) you know so it's hard to be articulate it's hard to have like you can have complex thoughts but it's hard to articulate them in that language that isn't yours because you just don't have the vocabulary. You don't right. have the language. You don't have the expression. You know, you're 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 funneled into using like certain words. Like, how was your day? Day was good. <laughs> oh, I had a great day. I walked down along the beach. You know, like you, you just lose the detail. Um, but he speaks, you know, perfect perfect English basically, and so he and he articulate articulates himself in English very well, and so you really get to see like the gears turning and there's there's definitely some some gears and some horsepower there which is which is interesting what was uh what was some of the things that he said or did that made you made him stand out for you you're talking about an interview i did like seven years ago um i think it's just the way he viewed the industry just where it was going And, and you can see that too like kind of in what ducati was trying to do when he was in charge of it and kind of where Dainese was when, when he was kind of steering the helm. I mean, like part of it is, you know, he's, he's a guy that tries to get a company sold. He's like, he's kind of like an investor minded CEO, um, which is, which takes a certain skill set, but also just learning or realizing that motorcycles just aren't transportation, mm-hmm. that there's something more to this, that it's entertainment, that this, you know, I think we talked about it one or two shows ago. Like a motorcycle is the most expensive accessory you can wear. Right. And I think he understands that concept really well. Um, it kind of proves behind their style and the message that Ducati always tried to put out. And he's super Italian. Yeah. He's so Italian. And there's something kind of charming about like Italians when they're in their element. Like when Italians are being Italian, like there's something absolutely just i want to shake you by your shoulders i drive you crazy and then something like very very awesome about it as well because it's I, there isn't really a culture like italians outside of like i'm trying to think like like another culture of people that would be like italians and i really can't like, huh. like the spanish are definitely spanish and the french are definitely french and the italians are just kind of like doing their own thing they ruled the world for a while and and like there's something about that that i think that carries over still Big characters there, yeah, and you can kind of see in the fashion, the cars, the motorcycle, the food, absolutely, everything's very bold. Everything's everything's just a little. It's just taken a little too far, and I think by taking it a little too far, it's almost taking it to the right amount. (laughs) If that makes if that makes sense, like that's some that's some like oxymoronic bullshit right there. But jet setters, it makes sense when you when you experience it. So every time you travel, I've noticed you put up pictures of ice cream somewhere. What's your favorite flavor? Stracciatella. What's that exactly? That's just like vanilla with chocolate chips on it, basically. So where's your favorite ice well, cream? Well, it's not vanilla. I shouldn't say that. It's it's um, it's plain. It's like milk. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think the first time I had that, believe it or not, was at like a Cold Stone Creamery where they have just <laughs> where they have like that just like that cream ice cream. It's yeah. not vanilla. It's, it's not just vanilla. Like, it's, it's just this white cream latte or not latte. Or what do they call it? latte i was just a kid i just moved to america my mom took me there and they gave me one i was like oh my god this is what ice cream should be yeah just this clean beautiful clean beautiful creamy taste so where where did you have your favorite scoop of ice cream it's funny i lived in florence for a really long time not really long. i lived in florence for a summer and i've been to florence like a bajillion times 
I don't have my I don't have an ice cream place in Florence. No? You don't have a place you would send someone to if they went to Florence? No, I couldn't find one to save my life. No shit. I would just be like, don't go to the ones that are in the piazzas. Because <laughs> I mean, like, uh, it's a little mom and pop shop. A lot. Of, yeah, I would say uh, there's one. I'll take that back. I had a good friend of mine uh, take me to like his neighborhood gelateria. Uh-huh. The like was like not the last time I went to Florence, but the floor, time before that, and that was like OG like. You know, hole in the wall. Like, like a place was packed. It was huge. It was like the size of my house. Wow! It was like this huge lottery, and, and it was bustling. But you would never know it. It's not in a touristy area. It's not near a piazza. It's just like a little neighborhood that's gelateria. Where the locals go. And like that's that's where the Florentines go. Um, that's probably where I'd send people. If I, I don't know if I could find it on a map to save my life though. Um, if somebody dropped you off in Florence, you'd find your way there over there. I'd somehow. find my way there eventually. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of have a couple waymarks that would that would get me there, but. It's funny because a lot of the little gelateria stands, they just sell the same ice cream. Right. And depending on how close they are to a tourist trap spot, they'll just like add a couple euros to the price and like maybe put like little confetti sprinkles on it right. and call it done. You're like, yeah. eh, it's all the same. It's all the same shit. <laughs> all. But I'm not picky when it comes to ice cream. It you all just goes, like ice it cream. It all goes to the same place. Yeah. Yeah. I do have a pizza place in, um, in Milan that I go to. Okay um and it's not like anything special it's not like you're gonna be like oh wow this is the best pizza i ever had it's like literally fast food pizza it's like pizza hut to them but <laughs> spuntini um and there's a bajillion of them what's so special to it for is it just experience that you're there oh uh, it's cheap it's good it's delicious like <sighs> always hits the mark it's just this like thick um kind of like focaccia style bread okay. that's cool. super greasy they got all the olive oil in it and they get the the fuck i'm getting hungry i think focaccia about pizza should be a thing anyway it's so good and it's and it's it's like five euros for like a slice and the slices are huge like one slice and you're done you're done you're full you know, like a slice and a medium coke it's like five seven euros and like it's um there's probably a hundred of these all over the fucking town but it's very much a, mil- a Milanese thing. It's you're not going to see it in Florence. You're not going to see it in Rome. Um, and it's like a, it's a really popular place for like youth go to, like like teenagers after school, high schoolers. It's it's not fine dining. It's very fast. It's fast casual. Uh, is what we would call it in American standards. <laughs> and it's just like that's that's my first thing. Like I land in Milan. There's one in the airport now too, which really helps. I land in Milan. I get downtown. I get to my hotel, and the first thing I look for is the neighborhood spontane. Nice. And I get one of those for me. Okay, so the probably the toughest question that you could ask a moto journalist. Oh, geez. What is your? I'm not even gonna say all time. What is your current most favorite motorcycle? Oh, and why? Oh, fuck. <laughs> current most favorite motorcycle. I say current for, because I change my mind every couple of years. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, for what? Like, it's like saying, like, w- it'd be like asking my girlfriend what's her favorite shoe. Yeah, well, I mean, she has one. My wife's got a favorite shoe. That's fair. Maybe that's not as hard. Um, it, It's like, it's like, what do I want to go do? Like, I love my Kramer. I love that bike. Like, if I'm, I, I don't really want to go race up a class. I don't want to go race down a class because I don't get to race my Kramer. Right. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to race a 600. I don't want to race a leader bike. I don't want to race an FZ07. I don't want to race an SV650. I want to race my Kramer because I like my Kramer. So maybe the more fair question to ask you is, what's your favorite race bike? What's your favorite yeah, street that's bike? The thing, like right, like right. You go through all the categories. I mean, I, I've said it before on the show. I think if I, there could only be one bike, 
It's it'd be like a KTM 1290 Adventure S. Wow, that's big words. Because that bike, I mean, like if I only had one, it would do all the things I wanted to. Do. I could tour on it. I could go adventure riding on it. I could do a track day on it. It's okay. it's it's it has very good behavior around town at low speeds. You want to get silly with it? It's like a big fucking supermoto. It pops wheelies. It slides. It's got the you can lock up the rear wheel. It's got all the cool things. It's got a pretty good uh, electronic system. Just don't use the fucking app. <laughs> you still owe me eight dollars, Chris <laughs> Fillmore. You're not getting away from that. Keanu Reeves owes me one extension cable. Chris Fillmore owes me eight dollars, <laughs> and there's a certain manufacturer that owes me six thousand dollars in advertising. Still, uh, <laughs> those are my. I'm like an elephant. I never forget. Man doesn't forget his money. Yeah, pay up, suckers. Well, what do you think is the okay? Well, here follow up question. Who do you think makes the most exotic motorcycle right now? Like, what's the bike that you can't stop staring at? Mm. And it doesn't have to be some crazy European thing. Like, who makes one that you go look at and go, fuck? Walt Seal. Anything Walt makes. Yeah, anything he makes. He could make dinner and it'd be pretty. I think I follow his Instagram. I don't think he doesn't post food that much. But, like, his whole his whole thing. Walt's making great bikes. Uh, from the OEM perspective... You know, there's funny. There's like there was a rumor a couple weeks ago that Kawasaki bought out Bomoda, and it doesn't. I mean, maybe maybe it'll suss itself out at Eichmann because that would be actually the place to, to announce right. that. Um, but then the rumors that we were going to hear news soon. Bomoda makes amazing motorcycles. Yeah, uh, Envy Augusta makes amazing motorcycles. You want to, There's a brand that for you. I think what Adrian Morton is doing at um, at the. Casti- Castiglione Design Group is just phenomenal. Hmm. Um, I mean, pick a pick a pick an MV that doesn't look good. That's true. You know, like it'd be really like the dragster. Still pretty. Still a good looking bike. Yeah. Not my favorite in the world, but not gonna hate on it. Just from a just from a design perspective, they're beautiful. There's some reliability issues. There's some like performance stuff, but like I'd say overall, the bikes the bikes do quite well they handle really well they make good power the electronics are good um but they're just gorgeous i think that's the biggest thing like when you walk by an mv like it's really hard not to stop and stare at it right um being up close with that uh with zarco's suitor moto 2 bike all the moto 2 bikes i think are really interesting like what suitor and calyx are doing and what um i got to spend a lot of time with ftr when they were still in the game Mm mm-hmm and what would always really impress me is you get up close and you look at the details. Like obviously, okay, they're race bikes and they're there's like a certain sexiness to that. But like I remember FTR was sitting there and he's like showing me these cutouts he made in the swing arm where the rear stand, like the little V that would, you know, hold the swing arm. How instead of it having like a nub that was coming out the side of the yeah. swing arm, like you normally design it into the swing he's arm. He's designed it inside the swing arm so you, you couldn't see it so once the bike was up on the rear stand like you just couldn't it just looked like the bike was just hovering <laughs> and it was such a clever way of of doing it and it's you know it doesn't get damaged when you crash it doesn't snag on cables like there's there's some technical reasons why i do it but it's just like the cleverness and it's the same thing looking at zarko's cedar um when i was in coda with the 11 motorsports team and you like you start looking at like the details of the frame and the swing arm and the triple clamp and you're like wow that's that's clearly something that was hand-built. That was right. clearly something where someone sat there for a really long time and thought about the best way to make that. And you don't get that with production bikes because production bikes is like, okay, we need to make it do a thing. 
It needs to hit goals X, Y, and Z, and it needs to cost as little as possible. It needs to be as easy to make and use the least amount of material. And that creates a whole different type of piece. Right. Whereas like someone which is like a, a you know CAD drawing and a CNC machine, it's like, okay, this just needs to it just needs to do A. Right. And we don't care how we get there as long as it does A the best way right. possible. Doesn't matter what it costs, doesn't matter. Yeah. Just make it work the best. Yeah. What about you? What's the what's what's the bike you lust after the most? Current or just in general? Let's do both. Give me your give me your your all time all time favorite and then current time favorite. All time favorite bike of mine is is um um a Ducati nine nine six S. Like just a very just that design in general, but for whatever reason the nine nine six when they came out with it and they had the five spoke wheels on it instead of the three spoke that the nine sixteen had on there. It just spoke to me and made my heart sink. Every time I see one, I just giggle. I have to stop. I have to look at it. I have to walk around it. And it's a very simple machine if you look at it by today's standards. And it's uncomfortable as can be. Uh, but I remember the first time I saw one with a uh, Termi exhaust on there, a Monoposto single seater. Mm. Uh, I was in Los Angeles. I was on Sunset Boulevard. I was just a teenager. And just like I stopped dead in my tracks. That was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. The Monoposto really is like classic design. Yeah. But why the 916? You kind of said why not the 916, but why like not a 998? Those are still beautiful. I still look at them, but for whatever reason, the 996, I don't know why. I have no rhyme or reason behind why. Every time I see a, I see a 998, I still gush over it or a 916, but 996 for whatever reason was like the one for me. Is that like because it kind of hit you at a certain point in time? I think that's what it is. It's an emotional thing. Huh. It hit me at a certain point in time where I just, I remember being just stopping dead in my tracks on Sunset Boulevard when I saw this thing and it was 996S with the gold uh, uh, front forks on there and it just it just looked so perfectly brand new and shiny and red. Um, and I've since seen a ton of other variants of it and I know like the 998's a better version and you know you get the Tesla Strata motor and stuff like that but as soon as I see that it's it's like the it's like that glass of wine or that perfect food that you had somewhere or that scoop of ice cream you had somewhere that makes you think of that moment. I think that's what the 996 is to me. It's just a, it's an emotional moment that I had as a teenager and I was like, this is the thing. This is the bike. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing full well that 916, 996, 998 look identical. Right. Uh, right. But that one, as soon as I see those numbers, I just gush. So I think overall, all-time favorite. And I've never, I would love to get one just to have it um uh, knowing that they're way better and of course way worse bikes than it but i think it's going to be one of those bikes that i'll finally own one day and i'll just have it and i'll play with it on the weekends and just be like here's my baby it's a old 996 the pretty bike yeah the pretty bike um current bike it's not easy is it no it really isn't there's yeah, there's it's, it's funny our industry is pretty small overall if you look at the auto industry and the motorcycle industry we don't have a shit ton of offerings like they do in the auto industry but it's it's such a it is, you know, you said it perfectly. It's like the most expensive accessory that you can wear. And so, you know, why are you wearing it? What's the occasion? What are you doing? Right? There's all those other questions you have to answer. But I think my my favorite style of motorcycle right now at this age that I'm at is a large adventure touring motorcycle because it could do so much. And I'm at that point in my life where it's like, I want a bike that can do all the things I want it to do. Um, and so, you know, who makes the best version of that right now? I don't know. But I'll tell you what. I'm pretty much on point with you with saying the KTM 1290. I just like the R model better than the S model. Mm-hmm. Just because I've discovered, you know, adventure riding and going out and doing stuff. And and it's got a little tiny little 
extra edge as far as off-road ability that it doesn't necessarily have on-road like the S does. But that bike, I remember riding it, my, my buddy Ken's, and it's like, oh, man, this this might be my next bike. And I haven't stopped thinking about it. And so m- what I'm thinking is, you know, when I'm ready to buy a new bike, what's going to come out? Is Ducati going to do something cool? Is uh, is the, you know, BMW going to have something neat? I don't know. So right this instant, if I was going to spend my money on a bike that could do anything, it'd probably be a KTM 1290R Adventure. The thing with the R, like you can, I wouldn't take an R on a track day. No. Oh, God, no. But I would take the S off road. That's yeah. that for me is the yeah. The and the S you can put wire spoke wheels on it. Yeah. From the previous generation eleven ninety adventure or whatever it was called. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you could do that. But you know what? I just realized I didn't answer the question properly because what I asked you was, what's the bike that would stop you dead in your tracks right yeah. now? What's a current bike? Yeah. And neither one of those bikes stop me dead in the tracks because they're not my definition of a sexy motorcycle. They the really are. Yeah. Yeah, they're not. They're they're you know somebody they're very utilitarian. They're very very they're they're a tool. They're made to do a job and they do it really fucking well. But they don't. They've I've never looked at a KTM and been like fluttery in my heart like oh a KTM. Yeah, like like what's your what's your super Legera or right. your H two R or your yeah that that F four or what, what what's what's the one that like money's no object. That's the bike that's got to be in the garage. Like that's. That's it's a current bike. You. That's a current bike. Uh, I think uh, that. Uh, um, oh my gosh, I'm I'm looking at it in my mind. But the MV Agusta, uh, I think Super Veloce, I think is what it's called, right? The one that they did that terrible ad campaign with. Oh yeah, the Super Veloce, the Super Veloce 800. Yeah, I think that's one of the prettiest bikes I've ever seen. I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, Super Veloce. That's a good looking machine. Yeah, that, and that's that just, 800 triple is oh god, the noise it makes is so pretty. It's that's just a nice bike. that that bike right now for a current motorcycle is the epitome of beauty. I think far as just styling, designing, it's gorgeous. That's the one I think for me. Mm. If money was no option and I can just grab one right now, that would be in my that would be in my house right now. What's the worst bike you've ridden? Worst? Oh, uh, a Buell Blast. Oh, that is a bad bike. God dang it. That's the Even worst. Even Eric Buell says that's a bad bike. Oh, God. Just the <laughs> worst hunk. Of, and I apologize to anyone who owns one who loves it. Personally, my opinion, I think it's garbage. I think it's just a hot steaming pile of shit. That's a, I haven't, I haven't had the joy of riding the blast. You should. <laughs> you should really, you should go down to the bottom of your, uh, your, your, uh, <laughs> the Brahma Impulse R was a fairly horrible bike too. Was it really? The gearbox is what ruined it. Just clunky or what? It, yeah, it's just super clunky. There was just tons of like chain lash. Like it needed, like I don't know if it had a cush drive or not. It needed whatever it needed. It needed more of <laughs> it needed more of one. But like every time you were on and off the throttle, it was so jerky. Like you, you just feel the bike like just kind of snap. And and once you realize the bike was doing that, you couldn't unrealize it. And it just ruined the whole experience. And you're shifting through these gears, and you're like that defeats the entire purpose of <laughs> an electric drivetrain. And it was just, it was just a bad bike. Uh, just a bad bike all the way around. I've actually forgotten about it. It's that. Yeah, I mean, it's because it's gone. It yeah. became the victory, and then victory got closed, and um, that was the end of that. Bad bikes. That's, there's not too many bikes that you're like, oh, that's a really bad bike. Okay, what's your favorite racetrack you've ever been on? Mm, Phillip Island or Kailame. Which one would you pick, though? It's so hard. 
Last time I was on Phillip Island, like, it was literally like 10 years ago. It was like right when I was oh, wow. starting Asphalt and Rubber. I think it was actually the first year of Asphalt and Rubber. Um, and Kailami, I went to like two, two, three years ago. I mean, there's something about Phillip Island when you're coming down the front straight, and there's a little bit of a, a crest to it, actually. It's not flat. And you crest the hill, and you look down, and all you see is ocean. Oh. And that's pretty hard to beat just that view uh, i'd probably go phillip island because phillip island it just flows it's just a track that flows so well is it a fairly technical track no you, no, no, no. so I you mean, take a bigger bike there oh yeah i think a 1000 would be great there i was on a 600 um that was a lot of fun um i mean turn one's fucking scary super you know, fast because this is super fast and if you fuck it up you end up kind of coming back along onto the track it can actually be really dangerous um when we were there turn four it was really mangled so it was really bumpy but kind of added to the challenge and then yeah it's a fun track i think i think it's cool because uh phillip island like they host their own track days and they will provide bikes so right. like, they, make, they make it really easy for a tourist to go ride and i think that's a really cool experience that's a that's a great experience if you don't it makes it easy i mean if you're visiting from another country you just show up yeah with money and it's reasonable i think with the bike it was like six hundred dollars so oh six hundred australian do they have suits and stuff too or you have to bring you could, yeah i think for like another 150 you can get a helmet and leathers and stuff very cool um but i would definitely recommend bringing around um uh, yeah but that's a cool <laughs> that's a cool way of doing it and i'm surprised like more big gp tracks don't do something like that yeah, you would think it'd be a good moneymaker for them, like a nice little, you know, auxiliary on the side business on the quiet weekends or weeks or whatever. Just being able to. Why not? Yeah, it seems like a good way of not just letting weeds grow in the grass. They're really funny about you can't have a lap timer and you can't have a GoPro because they don't want any form of timing the event. It must be like a part of the insurance. Interesting. They're in Victoria. Victoria is super weird about like automotive things like huh. you drive one mile an hour over the speed limit you're getting a ticket for one of the cameras like there's no wiggle room whoa they're just super like everybody uses their cruise control hardcore over there probably yeah it's and then Get you're it up to 80 kilometers an hour and just click and as americans <laughs> confusing because you're on the other side of the road right. and you're like what's going on here but but it's an interesting um yeah it's an experience that should be on everyone's bucket list what's your least favorite track you've ever been on oh um you just said to yourself, fuck it, I'm never riding here again. Least favorite track. There's been a couple tracks where I was like, fuck this. <laughs> Last time I was at Barbara, actually. I was kinda Barbara like, Motorsports. I was kind of like, fuck this. But that's because the track was so torn up. I could, and we're on the wrong bike. Like, well, doing I think Barbara, the cars just ruined that track. The, that was the thing. They literally like repaved the track after we left. Right. And it needed it. So you're like, like, it's, like that's like, Barbara's an amazing facility. Barbara's another one that's like, you should definitely go race there. You should definitely go ride As a there. motorcyclist, you should go to Barbara, period. Just yeah. to go check out that museum. But doing it on a leader bike, like way too big of a bike there. 600 or smaller. Yeah. Like even a 600, I feel is like too much there. Um, And now that it's paid, it's good. This would be perfect. And the facility is amazing. And there's the museum. So like, like Barbara's definitely not one of those, but like, I definitely remember being there and being like, this is so dumb. <laughs> this is so dumb. And it was on the new S1000RR, which I really didn't oh, care for. Yeah, that, that full experience was just wrong. That I was think. the thing. Like, whoever whoever put that together, I'm like, why would you do a press launch for this bike? should be a Phillip Island here. on the s 1000 Phillip Island. Coda would have been a great pick. Right. Coda's super bumpy right now, too, though. Uh, it needs to be paved. 
Um, but there's so many better tracks for leader bike. It's just, it's just a bad, that was a bad launch. That was whoever planned that just did a bad job of it. Right. Um, and it was hot and it was humid and it just, and like the way they organized it, it was just a bad launch. It's a bad launch. So that's, that's like unfair because sometimes you have to like remove the situation from the facility or the place. Um, bad tracks. That's tough. I feel like if they're bad, a, they shut down. Yeah, I did a track day at New Jersey Motorsports Park that, like, the the very first lap, like, the siding lap, I crashed. I think this might have been the last, the most recent crash I've ever had on the track. This is, this is, like... I can't imagine you were going that fast. This is, like, 13 years ago. Um, no, we weren't. Was, like, and the thing that, like, I was straight up and down, and, like, I barely touched my front brake and it just like i literally think it must have been black ice it was middle of october oh uh, there was like snow in the infield right right it was the last track day of the season man they were pushing it like i really don't know what happened and i think that's <laughs> why i hated it and i never really got along with the track afterwards and i think it's 100 because i just had like this freak crash that i still to this day can't really explain and it kind of just set the tone and i was just like on the struggle bus that day and i was having a little pity party in the pits and I don't think there's again, like I don't think it's really anything wrong with with NJMP. Uh, I forget what configuration we were on. I'd have to look at them. Uh, it's the one with the big ass decreasing radius turn. Um, is it a lightning or thunderbolt? I feel like it's thunderbolt. A little bit of lightning, a little bit of thunder. No, no, totally thunderbolt. Yeah, so we're on the thunderbolt course, and I crashed in like turn two. No. <laughs> Yeah. He just, just got on the track and it was like that was nothing we were really it was it was like a little chicane and you're just sitting there like we were literally going like 20 miles an hour Ugh. straight up and down. it just deflates you immediately yeah and it was like i don't know um but i never went back since nelson ledges was interesting um but i wouldn't say it was a bad track it was just like an interesting uh uh track day all in all we had like a deer heard a deer ran out onto the track <laughs> I got there in the middle of the night and like, I literally thought I was just like in some dude's backyard. Cause it's like literally just like farm country. And then there's just like some tires and like, some, like you cross the track in the middle of the night. And, like that feels weird. We ended up uh, missing the last session because there was a tornado warning. Like it was just a weird track day. Um, the odds I, were just I not in your favor. Yeah. I really don't remember the, the track at all. Um, I don't remember having a bad time riding it though. It's just it was just a weird just a weird day. <laughs> um Jennings GP in in northern Florida is like a 14 turn track and it's known for like snapping turtles just <laughs> walking around. <laughs> Don't mess with a turtle, man. What's the what's the worst trip you've been on? Cuz you you do a lot of adventure riding. Has there ever been a trip where everything just went sideways on you? No, I've been very lucky and I, well, and, and I try to be, you know, as prepared as possible for, for big trips. There are moments in every trip that shit goes sideways, you know, and it's, and it typically is, uh, human related. You know, we're, I think we're the weakest link in these, in these big endeavors that we do. It's, you know, it's in our head, whether you have a mental breakdown or your body's tired or something happens, right? Um, I, I am, typically a pretty resilient person and so you know i know how to make it where i can go for as long as i have to and you know these big trips trips that i do are usually two weeks long at the very least uh and so the parts of the trip that bum me out is if i have multiple people with me 
And if they start sort of breaking down and, you know, once they get to that point of no return, then I have to convince myself to get myself to their level and just be sympathetic and empathetic to what they're going through so I can help them out. So selfishly, I get bummed out when that happens because I feel like there's more I could be doing to go out and have a good time. And I'm having to concentrate on those other people. But I'm such a social human being that I don't I don't like doing those trips by myself. I'm not one of those people who just packs it up and just goes by myself. I would much rather share the experience with somebody else. So then I have to constantly tell myself, hey, if you're going to share it with somebody, you have to be willing to compromise with that person to make sure they're comfortable as well as you are too. But so that that's my biggest hurdle that I have to get over is, you know, making sure that I am conscientious of the other people's needs, but at the same time, not taking away from the fun I'm trying to have on this trip. Uh, so I keep telling myself, maybe I should try and do one of these big trips just by myself and just going out there and doing the thing. But the thing that I do every time I ride by myself is I push myself to go longer, faster. And so then it becomes less about enjoying the experience. So anytime I have somebody with me, then I force myself to slow down, look at the things, stop, take pictures, have fun, tell a joke, do this, do that. And it becomes a much better ride. So I've never really, luckily, knock on wood, I've ever, never had a ride where it's been just like, get me the fuck out of here. I'm done with this. It's never happened to me. Even if we've had a little snafu, it comes and goes pretty quickly. Um, because it ends up being like this experience where, you know, the other riders get together and they kind of boost each other up and go do the thing. And so it ends up being part of the adventure. Hmm. Um, but no, I've never, ever, never, ever, ever had a bad trip. Just bad moments and instances in all the trips hmm. and that happens that's just part of life sure where's where's like your bucket list like you want to go ride a bike like do you want to go or like a safari across africa go around the world long way round style iceland southeast asia through the middle of australia like what's your all what's your, like, i want to do all that well, like, what's uh, actually, the one, like, you got to have it done before you die, like, above um, all others? So, the one that I really, there, there's two that I would love to do before I die. One of them smaller than the other one. They're both pretty big. One is I would love to ship my bike from here to Europe and just do a cool European trip on my motorcycle where I camp out or stay at hostels or just any number of things. I, I know a lot of people out in Europe, so I can hit a lot of major points where I can stay with friends and family. But that's a really big one for me just to be able to, I just love the idea of, Western Europe being so many different cultures and countries within such a small area that you can experience all these different foods and all these different languages just within earshot of each other, it seems like. So that's that's one. I'll probably end up doing that sooner than later in this life. The other one that I want to do is the road of, well, sort of like the road of bones in Russia. But I want to... I'm not familiar with that. So it's it's an old road that they built... I want to say, well, so Russian, by the way, it's super Russian. It took so long to make that the people that, and it was so bad that if somebody died during the construction of this, they would just bury them under the road. Huh? So there's literally bones underneath this road. Uh, but I want to, I want to do a ride from basically starting like at, at Eastern Europe and work my way all the way to like China. I had a buddy, uh, restore an old, um, Porsche Carrera and ride it from Belgium to, Somewhere in China. Oh man, he must have done that like rally style, Beijing. like a little bit higher, lifted up. You need yeah. something that's got some clearance because yeah. I've seen a lot of videos and the roads are far from perfect. I'm pretty sure he just left the car there when it finished. Like <laughs> I was like, done. that's done. This is finished. Yeah, this is somebody else's problem right now. Yeah, I want to be the first Martian motorcyclist. I want to. I want to ride a motorcycle on Mars. Better have some kind of gravity generator because you hit a pebble, you're flying. 
Uh, what's the gravity on Mars? Like 0.8 Earth gravity, something. Is like it? That? I thought it was. I thought it was uh, less than that. I think it's 0.8. Uh, 3.7 meters per second per second. So it's like a third. So they just add a little extra weight. <laughs> this is where, like, a. Uh, well, you imagine you get some big air, dude. You take your <laughs> your BMW R1250 GSA, fill it up, and you'll still be riding around like a little KTM 300. <laughs> no, uh, it doesn't quite work that way. I mean, I'm, certain, I'm just thinking of the weight—a third of a third of the weight. <laughs> it'd probably have to be electric. Yeah, it'd probably be like a, it'd be like a little Alta or something. It'd be something like that. It'd be kind of. I still have one. Hey, by the way, I th- I'm thinking of selling my Alta. I don't think you're thinking. It's on. It's on like Facebook I'm, for sale. I'm doing it. Well, I'm taking it away from all that stuff. I'm, I'm getting kind of serious about it. I think I'm going to take it to the bike shop. So Ooh. if any of the listeners want a real clean Alta EX, how many miles? 104. <laughs> I've literally ridden it <laughs> off-road four times. All the miles on it are, are just from trails. So it's got 104 miles of trail riding on it. Um, but it's just sitting there, and I feel really bad about it because I'm doing all my off-roading on my big multi now. How much for? How much are you asking from a, from a Rob Talk list? Uh, 8,500. Okay. It's super-duper clean. Got all kinds of extras on there. I put the... Um, I remember we did the the bar. Yeah, we razors. did the bar risers. Yeah. We did the Dunlop. Uh, what are they called? The eight Geomax something, but they're just way better tires than that. And I've got the stock tires you can have too. I'll even include a Brap Talk sticker. Uh, email at webraptalk What's at gmail Yep, get a hold of you. Yeah, give mm-hmm. us a what, what? See what happens. I wanted to go to a good home. I love that thing too much. My wife, of all people, and Team Ann trying to stop me from selling this thing. Really? Yeah. What was her reasoning? Uh, because she knows that I've always wanted to have a touring bike, a, sport, a race bike, and a dirt bike. She's like, you have all three. Why are you getting rid of one? What are you doing? And then I haven't told her yet, but hey, babe, there's other bikes I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's tough. Oh, I just need a bigger garage, man. That's, 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 that's what that's it is. That, that's well, I need problem. more money is what I need. Um, I've got no bikes to sell. Well, maybe. I mean, everything's for sale at the end of the day. That supermoto right? looks at me the Especially wrong Especially in way. motorcycling, because something else is going to come along. You're going to go, yeah. I could ride that. Yeah. But I can't ride it and own this one at the same time, so I got to get rid of one. Yeah. But um, Like, the day's going to come where my Ducati's going to be sold, and I'll be really, really sad, but then something else is going to replace it, and I'll be super happy with that. I'll be curious to talk to you on that day. Oh. I'll shed a tear. You'll see me get emotional. Yeah, that'll be a, It won't be the 999. That'll go to the grave with me. But, <laughs> but the Lucky Explorer is going to probably get sold at some point in life. I'm thinking next year. Actually, I'm going to want to get that V4. So, no, not that. Well, I want to see what happens with the new, new Enduro, if they're going to do something special. Because I know KTM's already talking about redesigning the 1290. So, I'm, I'm going to uh, see. Yeah, we will, we will see a new 1290. I, I want to see what happens between those two companies. And if KTM has a real good reason for me to go that way team orange instead of team red it's gonna happen mm, let's not a, let's, mince words. Day in the let's not mince words there'll always be a ducati you're, you're in the garage quite the but ducati fanboy i am it'll always be one there but if if uh, team orange says hey dude you should check out our new 1290 because of this this and this over the multistrada i'll have a chat huh oh. well i'll be curious to see what comes out after i come out so this show we're recording now because I'm going on vacation. It'll be coming out before ICMA. And then we'll probably have a couple more shows. One, at least one more show before ICMA. Yeah. Maybe we get on that Goldwing finally. Oh, we got to do the Goldwing. Show. I know. We really have to. I know. Honda's. The, su- the Super Tenere 700 is, or the Tenere 700 is going to be out before you know it. 
No, we got to beat it. That's, that's 2021. Our- <laughs> that's 20. We got like at least six months. Come on. <laughs> Settle down. Uh, what we haven't done in a while, Shaheen, is tell our listeners to follow us on social media. Yeah. We are on Twitter at WeBrapTalk. Yep, at WeBrapTalk. At WeBrapTalk. We are on... On Instagram, at BrapTalk. Yes. B-R-A-P Talk. Facebook, you can find us at BrapTalk Motorcycle Podcast. Yep. Type it in the search bar. If you listen to the show via what was now called Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. Please. That helps uh, a lot. Yeah. It really helps other people. Apple's search algorithm just sucks. So, it's all based on like comments and reviews. And if your comment says motorcycle in it, that probably really helps us too. Like. <laughs> Uh, basically what it comes down to i don't want to write your comment for you but if you said best motor pod best motorcycle podcast ever that would probably help us out really (laughs) a lot um uh, hashtag kota kitty hashtag yellow hashtag the shah the shah the shah Um, of breath but yeah do do all those things if you haven't already um it's getting into that time of the year where we actually have some more time so like the weekly podcast thing will hopefully be happening we're gonna we're we're trying really hard (laughs) we're gonna make it work out (laughs) but um it's always good fun, and uh, we'll get you through the off season. Don't you worry. We'll be there for you, like a warm blanket, holding you tight and yeah. giving you awkward hugs. It's like group therapy. But um, all right. Well, we'll get out of this one. Uh, good talk, Shaheen. Yeah, I'll man, see you have out fun, there. Have fun vacation. I want to hear all the stories about your scooter shenanigans in Bali. Oh man, hopefully I don't kill myself over there. Well, don't kill yourself or your girlfriend, but come back with really good stories. Yeah, I'll try. And some kind of Lots a gift. Of pictures. <laughs> I gotta get gifts. Uh, it's like it's our anniversary too. It's the whole thing, <laughs> and it's my birthday. It's like a three for. All kinds of things happen. Well, it's expensive. Good talk. All right. Safety third. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Now give me your best, uh, give me your best Jensen Beeler. Hello and good morning. This is, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a good Jensen Beeler. I have to, okay. I think you're a little more nasally than me. So I have to be like, there you go. Hi, this is Jensen. I don't know. No, I mean, start the show. Oh, motherfucker. Yeah. I don't have a script. You always have a script. <laughs> We've been doing this like how many episodes? I you don't, don't know pay it by now? I can do it. I can do it a cappella. You do. How about I give you a beat? <laughs> What's the. Oh, 